Good morning, everyone. Good to be here this morning. Thank you for being here to worship with us. My name is Pastor Paul Seymour. I'm the pastor of music here. If you don't know me, I've been here for about 10 years and uh, love, love my Sailorville Church. So it's good to be here with you this morning. I'm um, excited this morning. It is uh, Christmas time, right? 14 days until Christmas, right? And uh, for those of you guys that have the chocolate advent calendars where you eat a piece of chocolate for every day counting down to Christmas, it's only like three days for you guys, right? So that's good. That's great for you. So, no, no but I'm, I am really excited to, to be here to open up God's word to you today. So if you would, look in your Bibles to Luke chapter one. We're going to be in the same chapter as, as we were last week for the song of Mary. And we're going to look at the song of Zechariah this week. Every person has those memories stored in their memory banks. They're on the forefront of their brain that they, even though they don't remember much else from being very, very young, there's snippets, there's snapshots, there's videos of memories that sit there. I can remember as a small child holding and playing with a small plastic figurine of a shepherd with a staff and one single lamb and I was playing with it as a tornado bared down on the trailer court that we lived in in Indiana. I can remember playing tag around a neighbor's pool where there were freshly dug fence posts and my leg going into one of them and a piece of pottery slicing my leg. And my mother, her screams I still remember when my dad tore my pant leg open and all the blood was there. It sticks in my brain. And then there was the time I got lost at Kmart. I was one of those kids that always kind of uh, went off and did his own thing and uh, wandered off. You can ask my parents, they'll attest to that. Gave them uh, probably lots of ulcers when I was a kid. But I had wandered off because I was really curious about the latest offerings from the G.I. Joe action figure catalog and uh, wandered off to the toy aisle. And I looked up and realized my mom was nowhere to be found. And for a small child, that's pretty traumatic when you, you know, lose your, lose your parent. But it's even more traumatic when the thought entered my brain, what if I had been forgotten? What if there was a home alone scenario going on here? I had been forgotten. And I think that's a common feeling many of us deal with in our lives, right? Have you ever felt that way? What if I have been forgotten? Have you felt that way towards God? When God is silent, he's not speaking, it seems, and you wonder, maybe God has forgotten me. Maybe you could have written the song in scripture from Psalm 13, where the psalmist writes, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Well, we're going to look at a song today, again, found in Luke chapter 1, and since it is written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the good Dr. Luke, this is a song for you. This song in chapter 1, beginning in verse 67, it's commonly referred to as the, the Benedictus, which is the Latin for blessed. But I don't think that's the best necessarily, necessarily the best title for the song. And I'll get to what I think that should be in just a little bit. But let's read the, songs, the lyrics of the song together. And just please follow along silently as I read them aloud, remembering that this is God's word to you, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you would apply your word uh, to our hearts this morning and change us. We don't want to be the same leaving here as when we came in. Um, in, in humility, Lord, help us to, to live with a humble heart in righteousness, realizing that you have not left us alone, you've not forgotten us, but you're working. God, thank you for your word this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So every song has a stage, whether it's the guitar in the bedroom or the piano in the living room or a stage much like this one that we sing songs from uh, together with you on Sunday mornings. And the song we are about to hear or that we just read uh, is performed on a stage that for a long time had been a very dark stage. No lights, no microphones, no announcements, singers or actors or speakers, just an audience of a nation of Israel waiting for movement, waiting for sound in a dark theater. You see, the end of the prophecy of Malachi in the Old Testament, from then to the appearance of the angels to Mary and Zechariah, which we read now in Luke chapter 1, there had been a period of four hundred years of silence. That is, no recorded prophecies or canonized scripture. The prophets weren't speaking. No word from God for 400 years. Think about that for a second. That is the equivalent of us not hearing from God since 1622. Was God working during this time of 400 years of silence? Well, I would point you to the scripture in Job that our pastor Pat often references Job 23, Job says, if I go east, he is not there, and if I go west, I cannot find him. Where he is at work in the north, I cannot behold him, and when he turns to the south, I cannot see him. Yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. I don't know about you, but that brings a lot of comfort to me, that verse, that God is still at work behind the scenes even when my eyes can't see what he's doing. When I think he's silent, he is at work for my good and his glory. We do well to remember that truth. So in that time of 400 years of silence, there were things going on, and it was a period of darkness for sure. In that 400-year period, Israel was oppressed by the Assyrians, ruled by the Seleucids, a time when Antiochus Epiphanes sac actually sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Jewish temple. This was a period marked by violence and upheaval as a group called the Maccabees, they threw off the oppressors in Jerusalem, and eventually, 
The Jews came under the rule of the iron-fisted Romans shortly before John appeared on the scene. It was a time of darkness of the ruler at the time, as Scripture tells us, was Herod, uh, referred to as Herod the Great. And let me tell you, that's not a proper name for this guy, right? He was not that great of a guy. In fact, he was a tyrannical, cruel, and vindictive puppet of the Romans to rule the Jewish people. It was said in his day, this is a quote, it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son. It was also said of him that in his time of rule, no woman's honor was safe and no man's life was secure. Remember, this was the same Herod that executed thousands of baby boys just to get to Jesus. It's because he wanted to hold on to his power. Chaos, violence, fear, confusion, and from God, silence. Maybe they screamed in their heart, as you sometimes do, God, where are you? Where are you? Despite this aching silence, God would now give them a song. And remember, this song is for you too. You who sit in darkness, you who feel forgotten. So now that we have the stage, let's talk about the singer. And I would invite you just to go back just a little bit to starting in verse 5 of the same chapter, Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. And just follow along as I scan over this. Let's get a little bit of a background on who's singing the song here. In verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, his division was on duty. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and to burn incense. Let's stop right there. Who is Zechariah? Zechariah is a priest. He is of a division of priests called the division of Abijah, which basically you can do your homework on that, but they were on a rotation in Jerusalem to do their priestly duties. And Zechariah was one of roughly 18,000 priests in, in uh, Israel at the time. Only 14 priests per year were chosen by lot to offer incense in the temple. It was a great honor and something most priests never got to do. And if you did it, you only got to do it one time. And it wasn't a popularity contest or, you know, the coolest, coolest priest gets to offer the incense type of thing. It was chosen by lot, which... We know from Scripture means chosen by God. How do we know that? Proverbs chapter 16 says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord, which says a lot in itself when you realize that God is sovereign even over the things that we refer to as chance. He and his wife Elizabeth, who is a relative of Mary, have a problem. They are childless. And furthermore, they really have no hope of a child because it says that they were advanced in years. That is past childbearing years, probably 60 to 70 years of age. You and I now know that 60 is the new 30, uh, but apparently they didn't get the message just yet back then. Right? So what happens? Let's pick it up in chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And pay attention here, verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Gabriel... The messenger angel of God who stands, we're going to see, stands in the throne room of God, pretty important guy, comes to Zechariah and says, don't be afraid, even though Zechariah is terrified, as you or I would be if an angel stood in front of us. We would be terrified, afraid for our lives. And he was. But the angel says, don't fear. I'm bringing you a message from God. And this message is you're going to bear a son. And I want you to pay, I told you to pay attention to the language there as he's describing the son Zechariah is going to have. And I would ask you to listen to this. This is the end of Malachi chapter 4, this verse I'm about to read. And it says this, prophecy coming, okay? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do you see the parallel, the language that God is fulfilling in Zechariah's hearing? The prophecy that began the 400 years of silence? He's breaking that silence with a prophecy that his son is going to go before the Lord to announce salvation to the people. So Zechariah, being the one that is righteous before the Lord, we know that, right? Being the one that is righteous before the Lord, he says, great, when do we start? Let's do this. No, no, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Stop right there. Zechariah doubts the word of God. Essentially, he says to the angel Gabriel, prove it. What do you got for me? It's not enough that an angel is standing in front of him. He needs something else because after all, his body is old and past childbearing years, right? And what is the response of Gabriel? Very soft answer, I'm sure. No, verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. After this, Zechariah goes outside of the temple. The priests see that he, or the people, excuse me, see that he cannot speak and they understand that he's seen a vision. And the word that Gabriel spoke was true. He did not speak again until everything that the angel had said was finished. But the angel's response to Zechariah was one of angelic indignance, basically saying, 
reiterating who he is. And um, I, won't, I, I was going to uh, use the same way that Pastor preached this. Pastor Pat preached this a long time ago. But how he did that is actually in his book, Retractions. It's one of the things he doesn't want to do again. Uh, so I don't want to put some out there that I'll have to retract. But, uh, you know, get the book and, and find out. Available everywhere fine reading materials are sold. <laughs> and I would, I would say, too, don't, don't give him too many attaboys on that book, okay, just as an aside, because there's nothing worse than a pastor that gets a big head because of a book on humility, okay? <laughs> so just be careful with that. But Gabriel basically says to Zechariah's excuse, what's your point? God told me to tell you what's going to happen. And by the way, when God speaks, no excuse of ours or Zechariah's can speak in opposition. I'm too old, I'm too sinful, I'm too stuck in my ways, too sick, too tarnished, too... No. When God speaks, it will come to pass. So here we have a man dealing with the silence of God, childless in the midst of that life struggle that also happens to struggle with doubt. Anybody relate to that? Well, let's get on to the song, shall we? Go back down to verse 67, if you would. After he had been silent for all these many months, and after his tongue is finally loosed, I picture this song coming out of Zechariah like the old Mentos videos. You guys ever seen the Mentos and the, the Pepsi, right, or Coke, whatever that is? You put the Mentos down on the pop and it just explodes, or you see the videos of... Rubber bands, you know, you put one rubber band on a watermelon, then two, and then pretty soon it just can't take any more rubber bands and explodes. You guys ever seen this? You guys need to live a little. You guys got to get out there and do this. Come on. It's a bursting song. It's a, a song that's bursting out of him. Much like Mary's song, much like the end of Romans chapter 11 when the apostle Paul gets done going on about the salvation that God has provided and he can't take it anymore and he just bursts out into worship. That's what's going on here. So let's read what Zechariah says. Read in verse 68. I want you to see this. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Zechariah starts his song with worship to the Lord, and he now considers what God has said to be done. Has Christ died yet? No, Christ is coming, right? John is the forerunner of Christ. Has Christ died, been buried, and risen again and accomplished redemption for the people? No. But what does Zechariah say? He says, the Lord has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah looks at the promise of God and now doesn't say prove it. He now considers it done. Because he sees his God is faithful. He knows his God is faithful. He wasn't about to doubt God again. He looks back and he knows as he references in his song in, in verse 73 and in verse 69, he references that God has fulfilled his covenant to Abraham, verses 73. The Abrahamic covenant, if you're not familiar, is in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, where God tells Abraham, all through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed and a king, kings will come forth from you. He promises David in 2 Samuel 7 through the prophet Nathan, he says, your throne shall be established forever, referring to Christ's messianic rule. So he now considers it done. He knows, as we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is in Jesus. God comes through on all his promises in the person 
of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer sent to a people sitting in darkness who feel forgotten. R.C. Sproul, I pronounced it wrong in the first service. I said Sproul, and uh, I was severely reprimanded. Um, it's Sproul. Uh, he has a pet peeve of a bumper sticker, which I'm sure you've all seen. The bumper sticker says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And Mr. Sproul says he cringes every time he reads it, and it's not because of the beginning or the end, it's the middle. Because if God said it, that settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it. When God speaks, it will come to pass. Mr. Sproul also says this, it is one thing to believe in God and another thing to believe him. And therein lies a source of so much anxiety for those of you and people like myself who sometimes wrestle with God is that we believe in him, but we don't believe him. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. What is it saying? Whoever would draw near to God must believe that God is, believe in him, and that he is a rewarder. Believe him, his promises. So let's get to verse 2, if you will, of the song. And we'll go over these quickly, but why has God chosen to send a redeemer? It's found in the song, verse 71, that we should be saved from, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God has sent us a redeemer to save us from our enemies. Now, if you're, you, you might be tempted, as many are, to look at Zechariah and say, well, he's probably talking about the Romans, right? He's probably talking about a king to come and throw off these iron-fisted oppressors. But in the greater context of Scripture, we understand that the enemy that we are being saved from is not necessarily a physical enemy. It's not just physical. For the Israelites, it would have been the Assyrians, the, the, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amalekites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, the Stalactites, the Dustmites, the Dynamites, the Parasites, the Overbook Flights. A lot of ites in the enemies of Israel, a lot of ites, but um, it's not just the physical enemies of Israel he was talking about. He was talking about our great enemy, sin, the indwelling sin that lives in each and every one of us and separates us from God. 1 Peter 2.11 tells us, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The great enemy is sin, and he sent a redeemer to redeem us from the clutches of sin and its close brother, death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death because sin leads to death. Romans 3, Romans 6. See, Christ came to save us from the disease, not necessarily the symptoms of the disease. So many symptoms come out of our indwelling sin in our lives, the problems that we wrestle with. Many of them happen because of our sin. But Christ has come to save us from the disease and not just the symptoms. He sent a redeemer also, verse 72, because God loves to show mercy. What's it say? To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant because he is faithful and he loves to show mercy. What does scripture say about God? 
Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God loves to show mercy. He doesn't love to withhold it. He loves to pour it out and wants to pour it out on you. God's also sent a redeemer so that his people would serve him with all they are without fear. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. God redeems people. He redeems them to serve him. What does Moses tell Pharaoh? God tell Moses to tell Pharaoh in Exodus, let my people go that they may serve me. In Ephesians chapter 2, it's told we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And we can do it without fear. Why can we do it without fear? Because when God sends a redeemer, when he redeems a person, the judgment is transferred onto Jesus off of the sinner. Scripture says that he has made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we serve without fear because when the sin is taken away and paid for, The judgment is gone. He's also redeemed us so that we would, so God's chosen would be holy and live holy. Verse 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Let's get to the bridge of the song, if you will. Starting in verse 76. The bridge of the song involves Zechariah's mission statement for his son, and I want you to imagine, those of you you that are parents can do this, um, but we can all imagine, imagine holding that child, that newborn child, and you look at them and you think of all the potential, you think of all the possibilities, everything that they could do and accomplish with their life, but imagine looking at them and knowing all of it. This is what Zechariah say here, verse 76, he looks at his child in his arms and he says, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. He says, you child are going to go before the Messiah, you're going to be the forerunner, you're going to tell, you're going to prepare the way for forgiveness of sins through Jesus who is coming after you. And I want you to really pay attention to verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God. There's something about God's character we need to get here. Do you realize that tender mercy is part of God's character? So often, especially those of you who feel forgotten by God, and and I speak from experience, um, so often we can look at God like this picture that's going to pop up here on the screen, like the funhouse view mirror, right? It distorts one part of God and minimizes others, just like it does to ourselves when we look into a mirror like that. And sometimes we distort the judgment and the justice and the holiness, even though those are part of God. We make them so much bigger and we don't realize that Part of God also is tender mercy, not wanting anyone to perish, but that all would come to repentance. It's good to have an accurate view of God. Well, as we round the corner to the end here this morning, as the old songwriting maxim goes, 
Don't bore us, get to the chorus. And so this is the chorus, the refrain, if you will, of the song of Zechariah. And that's that the great light is about to illuminate everything. Verse 78, because of the tender mercies of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Just the other day, I was putting up Christmas lights at our house. And that's a fun job, isn't it? (laughs) Boy, I really love that. I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm sometimes. Um, I really identify with the guy who sings this. There's a song that comes on the radio sometimes during Christmas, the 12 things at Christmas that are such a pain to me, right? And it gets back around and every time, oh, these stupid lights, right? I really identify with that guy. I was putting the lights up and got them all up and I had tested them, I promise. And half of one of the strings was out. It's like, great, okay, got to go back. Take it down, put a new string up. Okay, they're all working. Awesome. Come back later that night. Everything's dead. Check all the stuff. It's all dead. Process of elimination. One whole strand had died and wasn't passing on electricity to everything else. And so I took it down. I went and got another strand, put it up. And then some of them are like taller now and some of them hang down lower. And it's just, ah, I'm OCD. So it makes me crazy. But the lights came on. It did bring me a sense of joy. The lights are on. The job is done, right? If something like that, if lights like that coming on can give you joy, imagine what Zechariah must have felt in this moment. That people who are sitting in darkness are now going to see a great light because the Messiah is coming and he's going to guide us into peace. And it reminds me of Romans chapter 5, verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we have been justified that is made right with God. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a child of God in here this morning, you have peace with God and you don't stand condemned anymore. But if you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have no peace. And the wrath of God, Scripture says, remains on you. Do you want to have this peace in your heart and life? You must be made righteous before God. The only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. So don't, believe, don't disbelieve the good news and bring consequences on yourself this morning. Scripture tells us everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And we would like nothing more at Sailorville Church than for you to call out to the Lord today. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that he lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death in your place, rose again the third day that you might have life and make him Lord of your life. And he will do that. And you will have that peace that passes all understanding. So I mentioned at the beginning, I have a better title for the song, but before we get to that and as we conclude this morning, I just want to remind you of several things and maybe an application from the story of Zechariah, especially for those of you who feel forgotten feel like God is quiet, he's silent. Number one this morning, it's often in the greatest of darkness that God is getting ready to flip on the lights. Just as in this story, God was getting ready to illuminate the whole world with Jesus Christ, and often in our experience, we have to walk through some pretty dark valleys. 
But I want you to know that those valleys belong to God. Maybe to use a metaphor that might be a little bit dated, but God is the perfect photographer, if you will, develops the greatest pictures in his darkest rooms. I know of people as I preach here this morning that are dealing with sickness right now, they're dealing with loss of a child, they're dealing with depression, they're dealing with some pretty dark rooms, and I want you to know that God has not forgotten you. Those rooms belong to the Lord, and he's developing his beautiful pictures inside those rooms. He's not forgotten you. Number two, God is in the habit of using the commonplace and the unbelievable to accomplish the divine and the miraculous. Are you just commonplace? You don't feel like you have anything to offer? Whichever way God has created you, whatever you have to offer, lay it at the feet of Jesus. He can do something miraculous with it. Number three, disbelief has consequences. Just as Zechariah dealt with the consequence of disbelieving the word of God, we need to remember that God is a just God. And he will bring justice upon disbelief. But also number four, God is full of mercy and wants to pour out mercy on you today. Believer and unbeliever alike. You might say, I can't sing that song, O come all ye faithful, because I'm not that faithful. Well then, O come all you unfaithful. Come to the feet of Jesus. Come again and fall on his mercy. And lastly, sometimes we allow the great light to be obscured by many lesser lights. We have a lot of things going on in our lives, don't we? And sometimes just as the vast and glorious stars in the heavens, that if there were no lights around here on earth, we could look up and see the thick blanket of stars because of the the small light bulbs that are all over the place. They can drown that out and we can't see them. And in the same way, we often allow things, even good things, to mount up and drown out the great light of Christ in our lives. Maybe it's time to turn some of those off. So the title of our song, as we conclude this morning, I think it comes directly from the names of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Zechariah's name literally means the Lord has remembered again. And Elizabeth's name literally means my God keeps his promises. So if I had to title this song, I would title it, God Has Not Forgotten You. God has not forgotten you. You feel like that kid in Kmart this morning? Maybe forgotten, lost? Spoiler alert, my mom found me. I know you were on the edge of your seat. Do you know why she found me? Because I was hers. And because I was precious to her. She would not forget me. If you're in Christ this morning, you are precious to God and you are his and he will not forget you. And you can preach this to yourself. Psalm 116 verse 7, I love it, says, Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. If God has given us nothing else besides Jesus Christ, it is far more bountiful than we deserve. You are not forgotten. We have a Savior who has passed through the heavens, who has come to provide us redemption. He has remembered us. Would you pray with me?
Lord, thank you for remembering us. Thank you for not leaving us on our own, to our own devices, to our sin, to be lost. But you sent your son as a redemptive sacrifice. And you made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we could have your righteousness. And God, I thank you. I deserve nothing good. But you have given me everything good in your son, Jesus. God, I pray for those who are outside of Christ in this room and in the sound of my voice, maybe even online today, that they're, they may feel forgotten like nobody cares. But God, you do. You cared enough to die in their place, to rise again, defeating death, and you want to make them your very righteousness. I pray that they would take that step today of faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.